0: We are on week four of a series on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and uh, we have looked at some introductory stuff. We have looked last week, I think really, really importantly, if you missed it and you haven't had a chance to catch up, it's on SoundCloud and it's on iTunes. Last week, we, we looked at the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus himself. And I think if we don't do that, we have nowhere to go. There's no point in in talking about the Spirit if we haven't looked at what the Spirit empowered Jesus himself to do. And now for a while, for a few weeks, we're going to look at what's called spiritual gifts. So here, the amber light on the controversy dashboard starts to flash a little bit. Uh, This is is an area of theology and church practice that can cause... Uh, a wee bit of disagreement. I hope, as always, the intention is to be absolutely scriptural about this. And I want you to leave today and over the next few weeks uh, just hungry for the Holy Ghost. Yeah? To come and powerfully work through you to see the church built So let's read uh, one verse from 1 Corinthians 14. We'll spend a fair bit of time today uh, in 1 Corinthians um, and then again probably next week or, or the week after. Here's 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. Some verses in the Bible need explanation. Some of them you have to wrestle with them a wee bit just to maybe figure out what it means and some of them are so obvious that you wonder why you have to even talk about them. But here's 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Paul is speaking, Paul the Apostle. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Follow the way of love. So this comes after, obviously, 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul outlines the love in the church and how we are to love one another. And then he straight away says, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Now, to me, that's a command. It is not an option. It is not negotiable. It is a command from Paul to his churches, to Christians throughout the ages, to eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Linda and I have been really blessed over the years to have been on the receiving end of a lot of really rich prophetic ministry, where people have come to us, and they have prayed for us, and they then have spoken what they believe God is laying on their hearts to speak to us in order to encourage us. The morning we left List Nadil Church over at Armagh for the last time, Um, having informed the church over a long period of of what our intentions were and having received their blessing. And that last morning, I think it was in July 2015, I preached for the last time. I ended up in tears at the end of it and just had to sort of draw the line and say, I'm not going to say any more. And then Gary prayed for us, brought Linda and the kids up to the front, and he prayed for us and he prophesied to us. He spoke words to us that were really encouraging. And also within that, there was there were part of what he spoke to us was a warning that we didn't really get at the time. But we, we tend to, we do this thing where if anyone is praying for us and we believe that they might say something prophetic, the phone comes out and the voice recorder app goes on and we record everything they say. Because you go home and you think you'll remember it, sort of like when somebody's teaching you in school. (laughs) You think you're going to remember what they said, or somebody preaching maybe, and you don't remember it at all. So we we record it, and uh, we still have it, and I've I've listened to it several times. But we didn't realize at the time what that was about. We didn't realize until a few years later what, what it was about. But whenever it came to pass, what he had spoken to us brought us tremendous comfort and strength, that God was not being taken by surprise. If you have a take-it-or-leave-it attitude to prophetic ministry, I would urge you to rethink that. And if you've never thought about it before, I would urge you to think about it for the first time. We are talking here about miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit whereby he uses a human being to communicate something from God to another person or a group of people. We're not talking about some small thing. That is a huge concept. And if you have a take it or leave it attitude, I I want you to know that without prophetic ministry, there would not be a church here. It just wouldn't. It wouldn't exist. It wouldn't have started in the first place, and it certainly would not have continued during difficult times. It was prophetic ministry that got it going and prophetic ministry that was the anchor in hard times. And I've had to split this message in two, having consulted with with my wise wife this morning. There was too much to, to try to squeeze in, so I will continue this next week or the week after. And I want to start today with a sort of an introduction to spiritual gifts, what they are, and focus in on prophecy. And then in the next message, I want to take a more practical look at prophecy. And we will, in a future message, take a look at the, the gift of speaking or praying in tongues. So let me define prophecy for you with a few, few sort of slightly big words. Um, prophecy, first of all, is spontaneous. Now, by that I mean you don't plan it. You don't think of it in advance. You don't sort of write it out necessarily. Prof- prophetic ministry happens when God's people are gathered. It is not a sermon sermon or a message or, or whatever it is it is spontaneous it happens in that moment of worship when god's people are together it is understandable so prophecy is spontaneous understandable messages verbally delivered they are spoken out now you might think it's a bit weird that i would write understandable But 1 Corinthians 14, which we'll get to next time in a bit more detail, talks about prophecy and tongues. One of them is understandable and is to be used in church. The other one is not understandable and is not to be used in church without interpretation. Okay, so the understandable part, it's really, really important that when people come to church, they understand everything that's going on, that they don't go away confused. It's in the gathered church when God's people are together and it is intended for edification. That means building up, strengthening people and encouraging them. It is not to tear people down. It is not to publicly expose sin. It is not to force your opinion about something. It is to build people up. If prophetic ministry takes place, people should go away strengthened, encouraged. And as we get to the end this morning and look at an Old Testament example, you'll see that. But let's back up a little bit and look at this, this idea of gifts of the Spirit. This is what the New Testament refers to prophecy as, a gift of the Spirit. What does that even mean? <laughs> and is it even relevant anymore for today? Because there's no point in talking about it if it's not. So first of all, what it means is, here, here's your week Greek lesson for today. No Sunday morning will be complete without a bit of Greek. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, did I just have that there? Yeah, now about the gifts of the Spirit. That phrase, gifts of the Spirit, in Greek is one word. It's the word pneumaticos, It means spirituals. Now about spiritual things. The word gifts is not actually there in the Greek. It's just the word spirituals, and there's nothing after it. Now about spiritual things, Paul says. And pneuma, as we've seen before, is that word in Greek for breath or air that Paul uses for the spirit. So we we have that word. We have also in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12 the word charisma. You may have heard of some Christians describing themselves as being charismatic, and some churches charismatic. And that does not mean they think they have a particularly nice personality. What that means is they believe in the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So with that definition, I would say I am charismatic because I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And the word charisma in, in Greek just means graces. That's where we get the idea of gifts from, something that has been graciously given. All right so we've got spiritual things we've got graces and we have another one manifestations manifestations in term in other words whenever god's people get together and the holy spirit exhibits himself or shows himself manifests himself what sort of stuff will happen That's what Paul is writing about in 1 Corinthians 12. That's that's where we get this term, spiritual gifts. It's from the idea of spiritual things and of graces, or things that have been graciously given. Now, the question, are these gifts for today? Because that's where there is division in the church. Uh, There is a, a point of view known as cessationism, from the word to cease or to stop. And what that means, or what their point of view is, no, these gifts do not operate in the church today. Their their view is that the gifts of the Spirit operated in the New Testament, operated in the early church under the apostles, Paul and Peter and James and John, those guys, and, and that after the scriptures were finished, once the Bible was complete, they're like, the gifts stopped. We don't need them anymore. That's the view of cessationism. And it's based on some verses in 1 Corinthians 13 that I want to read to you because I think it's important. No point in taking two, three weeks to talk about things if they're not relevant anymore. (laughs) So we need to know that they're relevant anymore before we, we, we go into detail. 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. And in case I don't say it, At some stage over the next few weeks, that's the context in which spiritual gifts flow. Love. Don't offer to pray for someone with the hope that you'll have a prophetic message for them if you don't love them. Love is the is the context in which these gifts of the spirit flow. It's an atmosphere. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, what's going to happen to prophecies? They will cease they're going to stop. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. So Paul clearly says these gifts, two of them, prophecy and tongues, they're going to stop. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. There's another one. He says there's a time will come when these things will stop. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Again, knowing, prophesying, tongues in the previous verse, those are all sort of partial, incomplete things that will someday disappear and stop functioning in the church. And Paul says that will happen, if that, a third line on the screen, when completeness comes. Now, if you've got the old King James Version, that might be, it might say there, when that which is perfect comes. The Greek word has to do with something being complete, perfect, mature, completely fulfilled, whatever, the sense of everything ending. And, and the, 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 la- the last verse, just to, to read it, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, this future time that Paul writes about, when these gifts will stop, then we shall see face to face. We'll not need gifts anymore. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And the question is, that third line in verse 10 or maybe it's the first line of two obviously two verses on the screen when completeness comes when is that what's paul talking about the view of cessationism that says spiritual gifts will stop understands completeness or perfection to mean the end of the writing of the scriptures as in the new testament being finished that's that for the, that for their point of view once that has been completed Perfected, finished, all these spiritual gifts that the early church needed are no longer needed. All right? So that's the cessationist point of view. Then there's another point of view. See the way I've even picked the colors to manipulate you. (laughs) (laughs) Continuationism is to do with something continuing and going on. It's in green because everybody likes green. It makes you feel mellow, calm, nice jumper, Ruth. Makes you just feel all comfortable. Uh, continuationism says yes, these gifts continue throughout the church age, all the way from Pentecost in the Book of Acts, all the way through until the glorious appearing of Jesus at the end of the age. What people refer to as the Second Coming. That's the continuous point of view. And the reason that, that they and we, I, hold that point of view is because there is no way... Now listen to me. Some things I'm, 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 I'm okay to give people their, their say on and some things I'm not. And on this I'm not. There is absolutely no way that the Corinthian readers of this letter, when they read verse 10 of chapter 13 and read, when completeness comes or when that which is perfect comes there is no way that they would have thought that means the end of the New Testament. No way. They did not even know there was going to be a New Testament. Don't be thinking that there was a New Testament file on Paul's shelf and each time he wrote a letter, he put it in the file and said there's another part done. They did not know that this letter was going to be in the New Testament and to be honest, they probably would prefer if it hadn't (laughs) because it shows up a lot of their bad behavior for all time. Just It isn't possible. And this is a letter. You know, this is something that Paul has written to this church at this time. And if it, it cannot mean something now that it did not mean then. Otherwise, what was the point in him writing to them? If it was something that they couldn't possibly grasp. They did not know there would be a New Testament. They did not know this letter would be part of it. And they did not, I believe, think as they read this, That Paul was referring to the end of the writing of the scriptures. What they would have seen. Whenever they read about that which is perfect coming. Or that which is complete coming. They would only have thought of one thing. That is the return of Jesus. Nothing else. I just don't believe they would have thought of anything other than Christ returning. And. There's an inconsistency in the cessationist argument as well because they'll take verse 8 of chapter 13 and they'll say, yes, prophecies will cease and they have ceased. Tongues will be stilled and they have been stilled. They will make the argument that those gifts are no longer required by the church. But it also says there, where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And I have not yet heard them making an argument that knowledge is not important. In fact, I find them... Forgive me, but I find sometimes that mindset, particularly in young men, can be shockingly arrogant about knowledge and about arguments and about trying to put people down with their intellect. They love knowledge. But if they're going to be consistent about how they apply this verse of Scripture, knowledge needs to go with everything else. But it doesn't. Everything stays. In verse 7 of chapter 1, it's even clearer, Paul says, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Now, he hasn't been revealed yet. So there's there's an ongoing need for spiritual gifts in that interim period between Pentecost and the return of Jesus. Let me look at the context that, that Paul writes about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians so you understand what he's doing. His point is not to write an exhaustive list of gifts. Sometimes you will hear people talking about the nine spiritual gifts because nine are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. There are not only nine. It is not an exhaustive list. Paul is making a point in the context of his letter. Look at verses 4 to 6 of 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And what Paul is doing in chapter 12 is he is highlighting the different ways the Holy Spirit works among people and the different the diversity that is required in the body of Christ. He goes on after this for most of the chapter to talk about the body. All the different members and different parts of the body that are required to work together for the body to be healthy. His interest in the chapter is not explaining spiritual gifts. His interest is in making the point that we need all different sorts of people and all different ministries in the church. But there's only one God. Same Spirit, same Lord, same God. One of the lovely things about reading Paul's letters is he sneaks in the Trinity all over the place. Same Spirit, same Lord, same God. The oneness of God, the unity of the church, manifested in all different ways. Yeah? Yeah? And the Corinthian mistake, when you read the letter, you find they were obsessed with a small number of gifts, particularly tongues, but they weren't using them right. So Paul Paul is correcting them. This is so important as we read this. Paul is correcting them. You are listening to one end of a phone call. That's what makes this difficult. You're listening to what Paul is saying to them because they are misbehaving. And you're trying to figure out what are they actually doing that has caused Paul to speak to them this way. So you're, you're on one end of the line, you're listening to what Paul says, and you don't know what they have said. You maybe know a tiny bit. There's a couple of places in the letter where Paul quotes them. But in general, we, we have to tread lightly here. We have to tread lightly. It's the point I'm trying to make. So these spiritual gifts, who can do this? You know, surely it's, the, it's only the leader that can do this. Surely, surely. Surely it's only the, the, the older Christians who are super mature uh, and have been on the road for a thousand years walking with God. Surely only they can do it. Surely it's really special ones that have lots of books. Yeah? Who can do this? Paul says, everybody. Everybody. In 12.7, in 1 Corinthians again, to each one which means every single one of us, everybody. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. So it is not the, the sort of exclusive right of a certain small number of people within any church community. It is for everybody. And in a healthy church, it should be something that, is, that everybody is experiencing. John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Church, famously said, everyone gets to play. Now, he wasn't being disrespectful, and he was not saying that the Holy Spirit is a play thing. He was just making the point. There's no spectators in the New Testament church. Everybody gets to participate. This is one of the reasons, and I do believe it's the Spirit that is is prompting it, that this last couple of months, more and more as we're worshipping, we're quieting down the music And we're making space to allow people to share and to encourage. And I'm trying to gently encourage it without poking too hard, you know? Creating space for the Spirit to move because everybody gets to do this. Now, the whole everyone gets to play thing, I I can struggle with this sometimes. So one of the things I want to do this week and also next time is try to tell a few stories. Of, of you know things that, that we have been blessed by and, and, all, and experiences where, where I have spoken to others as well. And uh, I was in a 24-7 prayer room in Dundee a few years ago. <laughs> Dundee, have you ever been to Dundee? Like, I'll go easy, but it needs the Lord. And, and I'm not, I'm actually serious. You, could, you walk through that place and you just can feel it in the air. But so I was in this prayer room, it was with Forge, we were there for the weekend and on the Saturday afternoon we went to this prayer room and as we were there, we were with the guy that ran the prayer room um, and a couple of others, there was about maybe a dozen or 15 of us and uh, we were praying together and just particularly, you know, the, the, the leaders of, of Forge had, had said to, to all of us, right, pray for these guys and bless them. These guys that run the prayer room, pray for them. And I started, you know, just to pray myself. Everybody was praying and, you know, praying. And a picture came into my mind. Now, this is frequently what happens. And Hosea talks about how God speaks through prophets, through pictures. A picture came into my mind. And it was a profound and deep picture. This is it. <laughs> okay? Um, for, for anyone listening on audio, it is a little paper chain of men, women, people. Yeah, you, you've done this. I'm sure you've done this, where you fold up the paper loads of times and you, and you cut it out and then you open it out and you have lots of people all, all together. Yes, you've seen this? This was in my mind in the prayer room. And I have a problem when I'm in that context with other leaders and with sort of particularly mature leaders who are teaching the rest of us. I have this thing where I think to myself, I have nothing to contribute here. I shouldn't even be here. <laughs> Somehow, this is wrong. I have snuck in. I am an imposter and I have nothing. To, and I, this internal battle begins where I start to think everybody in the room knows more than me. Everybody in the room is more experienced. They know the Bible better. They're better leaders. They've bigger churches. And I should just keep quiet. And that's the sort of turmoil that I go through for a couple of minutes whenever I see things like this in my mind. And then eventually I sort of gathered up the, 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 the courage to, to start to, the church mouse, you know, to start to squeak and, and say something with all these people around me. And what I said to the guy was, and I find this, and I'll talk more about this next week. You see, when God does this, when he puts a picture in your mind, what I find is you don't have a clue what to say. And once you start to say something, the rest comes. <laughs> and I'm standing there thinking, I see a paper chain of people. <laughs> you know, What on earth is this about? And this happened a couple of weeks ago in the prayer room as well. I'll maybe talk about it. But it is only when you start to actually take that wee little step of faith. I believe, God, you're showing me something. I'm going to say it. Then the explanation usually follows immediately. And I said to them, I see you know, this paper chain of people, and I see one person. I see that, you know, that the page has been folded up, and the scissor work has been done, and all you can see at the minute is one person. Um, and I said to him, I, you, you feel like you're on your own in this city, that in terms of carrying the, the burden or the mantle in prayer, that, that you know, you're lonely, you're isolated, you're running this prayer room, but that there's not a lot of support across the city for it, and, and you feel like one guy. But I said to him, I can see the piece of paper, and I can see it being unfolded, and actually there are loads of people, and the important thing is they're all the same as you. They all have a burden for prayer. They all have a passion to intercede for the city. And it is happening. And even though you can't see them because they're all behind you and they all look the same as you, once the Holy Spirit pulls it out, there's actually a whole pile of people who have this same burden and this same heart that you have. But none of that came to mind until I opened my mouth. And I have to get over the whole I don't get to play attitude when I'm in those contexts. Because otherwise I keep something to myself that could bless people. Yeah, Everyone gets to play. Everyone. And and what's it for? First Corinthians 12, 7 again. To each one. Each one. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To build people up. Church, do not deprive one another of blessing because you don't think everyone gets to play. Don't deprive. Don't do, you know do what i do if you want where you have the sort of minute of turmoil where you battle with yourself but overcome and open your mouth and speak because it's for the common good you don't know as you stand on the warm side of the church you know in worship that somebody else on the cold side of the church not spiritually speaking just the temperature gradient from the radiator to the window okay um you're on the warm side of the church and you, as we worship, you feel the Holy Spirit giving you a wee silly picture of a piece of paper that's folded up and been cut out. And you think, I'm not going to share that because I don't know what it means. And because you know somebody else is more able than me to do this. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. But on the other side of the room, in the cold side, there is someone who is desperate to hear God, who has maybe walked into the building and said, God, this is your last chance. If you're real, you need to speak to me this morning. Otherwise, I'm done with you and I'm done with church. You ever believe anybody could walk in and say that? But maybe people do. And you've got something in your heart that the Holy Ghost has given you and, and you don't share it. And it would rock their world. You know? It would just set them ablaze once again and they need to hear it. Do not deprive people of the blessing of a prophetic word. What are these gifts that Paul mentions? And we are not far from being done for today, and then we'll, we'll pick it up again. In 1 Corinthians twelve eight, he mentions nine. That's not all of them, as I said earlier, but here's a few. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. Remember the point of the text is the diversity that is shown when the Holy Spirit shows up. That's what it is. So look at how he writes it. Through the spirit, one gets a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. Different manifestations, same spirit. Verse 9, to another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. And here's what we thought just about gifts of healing. Gordon Fee did this for me. If you're sick and I pray for you and you get well... Who just received the gift of healing? You did, not me. I prayed for you, you received the gift. You get people who run around saying, I have a gift of healing, I pray for the sick and they get well, give me your money. You know, that is not what I believe Paul is saying. God, the Holy Spirit gives gifts of healing and as, I, as we pray for people, if God wants to, he can heal that person, he can give that person a gift of healing. It's not for me to run about and get arrogant about and think that I'm special. Verse 10, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. And then in Ephesians 4, there are more, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Those are gifts that Christ gave. And then in Romans 12, there are more. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. Serving's a spiritual gift. <laughs> and you're not allowed to say, I don't have that gift and therefore I won't do it. <laughs> if it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. You know, some people are just brilliant at encouragement. They're just brilliant at it. We all try it and we all should do it, but some people, all you have to do is be with them for 30 seconds and you feel better. They have the gift of encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. I know some people who draw no attention to themselves, who would never preach or stand up in front of a crowd, who don't want the limelight on them at all, but they are ridiculously generous to the church. I know one guy in particular and he says, it's my ministry to make a lot of money for the kingdom of God. And he does that and he quietly gives and gives and gives and gives. If it is to lead, do it diligently. Leadership is a spiritual gift. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. It goes on and on and on. And, and, and Paul's intention as he lists the gifts again in, in 1 Corinthians 12 is to show the diversity of it. We're going to spend most of our time talking about prophecy and tongues because that's what Paul has spent most of his time writing about. There are other things that he has mentioned, and I'm going to be, just try to caution you to be careful about these. In, in chapter 12, verse 8, he says, to one there's given the message of wisdom, or you may have heard it described as a word of wisdom. That phrase is not used anywhere else in the Bible, and therefore we need to be careful about saying, I know what that is. In the context of 1 Corinthians, they were obsessed with wisdom. And the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians talk about wisdom a lot. And in fact, Paul points out that God's wisdom is the cross. And therefore, again, Gordon Fee, educating me here, he would say that a message of wisdom is the spiritual gift of being able to proclaim the message of the cross in a way that sees lives transformed. Billy Graham. That dude could get up every single night and he could preach the same sermon over and over again about the cross and people streamed forward for salvation. He, I believe he had the gift of the message of wisdom, the ability to proclaim the wisdom of the cross, God's wisdom. And then the message of knowledge. Again, in the King James, it says word of knowledge. And it's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. So we need to be careful about saying what it means because we really don't know. Sometimes people will go around in church saying, I've got a word of knowledge for you. I don't know. You maybe have a prophetic message, but do you have a word of knowledge? Do you know? Do I know? Does anybody know what it is? Again, it's mentioned a lot in Corinthians, this term knowledge, but not word of knowledge, nowhere else. There's a chance that this could mean teaching. Whereas the first one, the word of wisdom, is the proclamation of the cross. The second one, the word of knowledge, is the teaching of the scriptures. And it's a spiritual gift elsewhere in the Bible as well. And Romans 12 talks about teaching being a gift. So you've just got to be careful about these ones that are only mentioned once in the Bible. That we don't lay this hard and fast. That's what that is. Because we're just not entirely sure. 1 Corinthians 14 You know, it sits in the midst of a bunch of chapters that get preached a lot. 1 Corinthians 12 gets preached a lot. It's about the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 gets preached a lot. It's about love. 1 Corinthians 15 gets preached a lot. It's about resurrection. 1 Corinthians 14, not so much. Not so much. We, we, uh, we, you know, sometimes avoid this because we don't know what to do with verses like this. 14.5, Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. but I would rather have you prophesy. So you'll hear lots of sermons about love from 1 Corinthians 13. Not hear an awful lot about that because we're just not quite sure sometimes what to do with it. I wonder how I got through over 20 years of being a church goer without ever hearing about this, ever. Just wasn't discussed. And Paul does not want people in, in 12.1 to be Uninformed. King James, again, coming in handy today. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. I want you to know what's going on. But it's not just about knowing. If you compare 12.1 and 14.1, in 12.1 he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. In 14.1, it it isn't just, oh, we're not ignorant anymore. We know all about this. Knowing is not enough. (laughs) Understanding, changing your opinion is not enough. He says in 14.1, there's got to be action you need to eagerly desire. The gifts of the Spirit. Eagerly desire, especially prophecy. Let me remind you of a bunch of guys in the Old Testament that you might have heard of <laughs> called the Rebuilders as we close. A very brief overview because we spent 15 weeks <laughs> on the rebuilders and you don't want to hear it all again. But in the Old Testament, there are there are these who returned from exile to rebuild the temple and the walls and the community of God's people. And we know that their hearts were stirred up to build and that they returned and they started the work and they faced opposition and they got discouraged. And Ezra 4.24 says that the work came to a standstill. And actually came to a standstill for 16 years. Sometimes the struggle just tires you out, and it's very easy for the work to come to a standstill. A challenge for you. The burden that God put in your heart a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, has the weariness of it caused it to sort of grind to a halt, to come to a standstill. It's still there, but it's just sitting. It's not progressing. What will stir them up again? In chapter 5 of Ezra, what stirs them up again is Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet. They come and they do their thing. They prophesy to the Jews in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. And Zerubbabel, you know him and you know he's the son of Shealtiel. And Joshua, son of Jozadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Haggai and Zechariah didn't just roll into town, put up a tent, have a couple of special meetings, prophesy all around them, put the tent away, and then disappear to the next town. They stayed with the builders. And they continued to proclaim God's word prophetically into the hearts of the builders. And and as a result of it, the people set to work. They started once again building the temple. And Zechariah writes a really difficult book in the Old Testament to understand. Thought thought to be the hardest book in the Bible, actually, to to get your head around. And I want you just to see a couple of pictures that he uses as we finish. In chapter 4, verse 1, The angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, what do you see? Zechariah sees this vision. I see a solid gold lampstand. Now, we know from other scriptures that the lampstand can refer to the people of God. Revelation 1. I see a solid gold lampstand. So I think that represents God's people. With a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it. With seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it. One on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. So we've got this picture of a lampstand and a bowl and an olive tree standing on either side. And Zechariah asks the angel, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? Got I hate it when angels are mischievous like that, don't you? Do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And there's a lovely prophecy that Zerubbabel receives. Remember, the work has stopped. Has your work stopped? The work has stopped. And what, what the, the, the prophecy that is to be spoken out is to the thing that has stopped Zerubbabel, the opposition that has got in his way. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone, the final stone of the temple to shouts of, God bless it. God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel led the foundation of this temple. His hands will complete it. Do some of you need to hear that? You laid the foundation of something and it's now sat for a period of time. And maybe the word of the Lord to you this morning is, you know, you will complete it. You will. This, this is what Zechariah spoke to the people and to Zerubbabel to get the work started again. You will know the Lord Almighty has sent me who dares despise the day of small things in verse 10. And then verse 11, Zechariah is still troubled. And he says to the angel again, what are these two olive trees? I see the people of God. I see the lampstand. I see two olive trees. Now the olive trees are providing oil. The oil is flowing from them so that the fire of God's people can burn. And I asked him, I asked the angel, and I asked him again, what are these two olive branches beside the gold pipes that pour out the golden oil? He's really ticked by this. And the angel again is not helpful. <laughs> Do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. I think the angel's laughing at Zachariah because he's saying, mate, the olive trees, its you and it's Hegai standing on either side of the people of God. And as you prophesy to them, this is what happens, church, whenever the people on the hot side of the church open their mouths and encourage the people on the cold side. Whenever you open your mouth and speak God's word, oil flows, and then the fire burns brighter. A fire that has got dim, a fire that has maybe suffered due to lack of fuel starts to burn brightly again. That's what the prophetic word does. The New Testament church can not function without the prophetic word. A church that is not experiencing prophetic ministry, listen to this, is unhealthy according to the scriptures. It is unhealthy. And a church I would then go further to say that is only experiencing the prophetic word from one source is unhealthy. If there's just one or two people here, that's great to have one or two people, John Wimber said, everyone gets to play because Paul said that this was given to each one. To everyone. Listen to the Spirit as we worship. Because what happens whenever the prophets prophesy is that the people prosper. That doesn't mean they get lots of money, it means they succeed, it means they progress. See that word for prosper there when you read in the Old Testament and Judges and Samuel and other places about the Spirit coming upon someone, rushing upon them. It's that word to prosper them, to give them what they need to have the power to succeed and do what God is calling them to do. It is no different today. We need the message of the prophets to strengthen the people of God. We will continue. We will look at practical details of how to do this in the church and more stories and examples. But now we're going to worship. And as we worship, we're going to leave some space.